listeners to the Gas Giants, here is uh, the special Christmas episode. Yes, that's right. It's the most wonderful time of the year, which is the time when I get to torture Tom with what I've been buying record-wise this year. It's the return of the son of what's in Gav's bag. Yeah, so the way to understand this is (laughs) imagine a dad or a grandpa with a hobby. Let's say it's uh, model railways. Um, and uh, obviously, um, grandpa's really interested in model railways and goes, goes down to the club and hangs out and loves going to shops to look at, uh, look at, look at the, uh, the new equipment that's available and um, putting it all together. And uh, the, the trick here is to invite everybody else in and say, hey, look at my model railway. And and we all go in and um, if, if it was short, if it was just like five minutes, and that would be one thing, but no. I don't. Then I have to edit the episode. Good Lord. Well, I'm going to try and make this as, uh, as painless as possible for you this year because I have actually kind of uh, already done a certain amount of pre-editing. This is not everything I bought this year. It's enough. We'd be, well, yeah, we would actually be here until Hogmanay if we did that. Well, but put, yes, put it another way around. If I, well, when I did give you a playlist once, how far did you get with it? Uh, yeah. And then I didn't bother after that. What's the uh, point? Okay. Well, my first big discovery this year. And I would like to uh, like to take a take a wee moment to talk about this artist. Uh, was that very early on in the year? I think something like January or February. Uh, I came across a record in uh, on flea market called "Stoned Flute" by the Chris Hinzer combination. Now I was already tickled by the uh, by the name of this band, like. Chris Hinzer combination <laughs> sounds like a sort of well, they used to call you know, old-fashioned word for underpants or something. <laughs> no, but I mean they they used to come up with all kinds of uh, alternatives to quartet and ensemble back then. Yeah. I mean it was it was part of the part of the uh, part of the shtick for not quite jazz bands. You know what I mean? Mm. Bands yeah. that were that were trying to differentiate themselves a little bit from the more straightforward jazz. Well, acting on impulse, because this didn't really say anything to me, uh, I bought this masterpiece from 1970 and took it home, and I was quite amazed. This is, this is great. And I really wasn't expecting that. I enjoyed this record thoroughly, and since then I've gone off to uh, to buy uh, another two Chris Hinzer records. Uh, one of which uh, is with Charlie Mariano, which is uh, which is very interesting. It sounds quite a lot like Nucleus, actually. Uh, and there's a third one which is which is live at Montreux, which I haven't bothered you with because it's a little bit sort of yeah easy listening. And uh, why I wanted to start off talking about this guy is because it turns out that just as I've discovered him, he has gone into retirement. Uh, He played, uh, we're recording this the end of November, but in, um, so the beginning of the November, he played his last concert in the Concertgebouw in Amsterdam. He's uh, obviously Dutch. Uh, He went off to study at Berkeley. Uh, and uh, studied there for several years, came back and formed this this band called the Chris Hinzer Combination. And he seems to have been, I mean, I had never heard of him, but he seems to have been quite a you know, successful artist. Uh, he eventually got into um, ambient music. And uh, certainly this is what he was, he was doing for the latter part of his career, which I also find interesting. And I have been trying to get in touch with him somehow because I would dearly love to have him on the podcast 
and to interview him about his life and his music and his his reasons for going into ambient music and uh and ev- everything it seems like a really really very interesting avenue to go down particularly that we've uh, we've covered a certain amount of ground this year about how music can actually affect you physically mhm so uh if he is listening to this, it looks like, it kind of looks like somebody else's. Uh, he has an Instagram account, but maybe, I don't know, his son or something or, or daughter or whatever is, is running it for him. Um, yeah, if there is any chance that we could get in touch with Chris Hinzer and talk to him, we would be so happy. Because it, be, it would be really, really interesting, I think. I see. Okay, so what in particular do you like about this music? Uh, well, it's the it's the way that it goes from semi sort of free to uh, to to actually quite structured, but the the free stuff is really interesting. I find uh, particular the other members of the group. I mean, the the uh, all of the free stuff in it is a com- perfect balance between all of the instruments. The drummer's got quite a lot to say. The bass player is uh, is is very very insightful in all of the all of the little things he does. The uh, you know uh, there's there's bits equal bits of each instrument in all the free passages, which uh, which creates a, a a greater whole. Also, there's just the sort of thing. I mean, I'm a bassoon player, so you know I've got my own ideas about the flute. You know, it, it <laughs> How does that follow? Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's the flute. It doesn't really count. I mean, have you ever heard a flute <laughs> player talk about his instrument as my horn or my axe? No, it'd be ridiculous. You don't make reeds for it. It's this little pipe. I mean, you know, you can stick it in your pocket. Why, why are we even talking about it? But here's the thing. Says the bassoon player. He manages to get colours out of this inst- out of the flute, and I'm sitting there thinking I'm listening absolutely raptly to somebody playing the flute. Oh, come on, you're talking to somebody who's been a Jethro Tull fan since about the age of thirteen. Oh, yeah, okay, so yeah, all right, yeah. Well, yeah. there's there's actually one or two sort of <laughs> uh, sort of Jethro, Jethro Tull moments in this. Well, it was something of a revelation to me, anyway. I would certainly. Uh, I mean, the uh, the the album with Char- Charlie Mariano is uh, is different. Yes. Uh, very much. Because um, uh, also Chari- Charlie Mariano is playing that. Oh God, that Indian instrument that he uh, he practiced forever, and I can't even pronounce. Nagasuram. Yeah, but um, uh, that's that's also that's also fun though. But uh, but I, I do keep coming back to stoned flute, and throughout this year, it has been on my turntable a lot. Right. So. Very yeah, good. So. Try and to try and find a, a copy of Stone Flute if you can. It's, well, it's good fun. It's on YouTube. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, the yeah. stuff that you've you've given me, it's all been on YouTube. So presumably, you can oh. people can check it out there and see whether or not they feel the need to find a copy for themselves. Well, I mean, part of the reason why I've um, why I love vinyl so much is the fact that I okay yes you're right I do get a lot a big bang out of going around shops and uh, and right riffling through stuff and the whole sort of Proustian smell of old records and all this kind of stuff and uh, and the the kind of relationships that I build up with people who work in these shops and the conversations I get into but. Um, Often it's stuff like this. I, I, you know, I could have scrolled past a Chris Hinzer video on YouTube, and I wouldn't have clicked on it. But, uh, but the records, having the actual physical media in my hand, this was interesting enough for me to 
hand over a couple of euros, safe in the knowledge that if I didn't like it, I'd be able to trade it up for something else. And I ended up making this uh, this great discovery. Really, if you put the effort in on Spotify, you're going to make a lot of great dis discoveries. Mm. Um, it's a question of your practices and your habits. Uh, if, I suppose so. Uh, if you if you're if you want to find stuff on digital, you can. It's not. It's. Yeah. I think you're more likely uh, that way uh, because the software is is actually trying to help you. Uh, it's not always very good at it, but it's not always yeah. that bad. And I mean, the thing is, you've got your hobby. You like doing it. I'm not complaining with that. Mm. It's the. Uh, it's the. I mean, I guess you watch what's in somebody's bag videos on on YouTube and you enjoy those too. So mm. you think that, I mean, but that's people sharing your hobby, right? So mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I yeah. haven't been a record. Well, I haven't been a, an LP collector for a very long time, but I even gave up buying CDs probably mm. you know, in the late 90s. So talking about uh, what's in my no, bag videos on, it was later than that, on uh, on YouTube, uh, I got brought uh, I brought to investigate this next band not through um, not through somebody else talking about their records on YouTube, but through the band itself uh going to uh, a big record shop in LA and shopping mm. because i've um i've i do greatly enjoy uh, amoeba music's series of videos what's in my bag and uh where various artists are allowed to I, I suppose they must be given a couple hundred dollars or something and then let loose in the store and so you see very you know people whose whose records you like or whose music you like actually running around and uh, and picking up um a whole load of records and talking about talking about them talking about what they mean uh i've derived derived a great deal of enjoyment from these uh particularly actually from artists that i either don't know or even don't really consider to be to be terribly interesting but they often pick up interesting music well that and in the that you see yeah. is a little bit like the recommendation algorithms in in um in, in the apps um uh, maybe. but the for me those algorithms work really badly but that might be me um yeah the, I, yeah well i i sometimes i do get lucky with them but the yeah i mean that's that that's where putting in the effort, but putting in, but going to record shops or or sitting through fifteen minute long videos of of people saying, "Oh, look, here's a record," and are you know, but that's an investment too. It's work. Hmm. Um, yeah. So depending, there's just different ways of going about it, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, frankly, I find those what's in such and such bag rather annoying because I want to be able to listen to the music. So if they say this is good. Or I'm interested mm. in this, I, but it's hard to do that because then you need to clear rights for that music. Yeah. And, and well, that's that's, you, that's that when you work. go to your Spotify account, isn't it? Right, but that's too much work now. And so now, yeah. now the now the YouTube video that goes on and on with some hipster or whatever telling you how cool their variety of um, mm. taste in LPs is um, gets a bit. You know, I just I find it I find it rather limiting. Hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I came to this next band through watching them uh, talking about through. how much they liked floating points. Uh, did they talk about floating points? I can't, so. Maybe they did. They, but they also picked up a, a copy of In a Silent Way. Yeah. And there was there was a lot of good music that they that they picked up. Uh, and it is uh, Black Midi. Yeah. And so I got hold of, uh, I got this for my birthday, actually, from Lottie. Uh, of she their must have had album. to pay full price for it, then. Yeah, she probably did. Who uh, got hold of a copy of Hellfire, which um, 
Yeah, that's been on my uh, on my turntable quite a bit this last year. Right. Although it's kind of music that I can only play when nobody else is in the house. What? They put up with the other stuff? Uh, a lot of it, yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, it looks like I've got a sort of growing collection of stuff that I can only play when I'm on my own, frankly. But, uh, but well, I think that's, yes, I, I think they're kind of getting used to it. Why don't you use headphones? Oh, that's right. You don't want to. Uh, no, I kind of do. Well, yeah, I do. I, I do sometimes. I've, I actually have noise cancelling headphones, but uh, the 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 record player isn't. isn't do you have noise cancelling loudspeakers? <laughs> I mean, why is noise cancelling important? Just get good headphones. Yeah. Well, uh, they're, they're very good if you, if you travel a lot. No, I, I still don't follow. But if you want to listen to a record and nobody else in that and you want to you know, keep mm. it to yourself, you put on headphones. What's the big problem? Yeah, Black Midi. I didn't know anything about them before this year. Been quite a discovery. Uh, I, I think they're... Pretty amazing. I don't. It's kind of unclassifiable music, in a way. Yeah. Uh, this ultra pomo virtuoso stuff. You know how I feel about it. It's been. I'm surprised several. you didn't like the guy's voice, though, because you're a kind of Scott Walker fan, aren't you? Um, I wouldn't say I'm a Scott Walker fan. I mean, I haven't ever bought any of his records, but yeah, I kind of like. I mean, I I, I admire Scott Walker. I admire the his career and and what he, um, you know, his whole story. I admire his um, aesthetic choices. You know? Yeah, um, yeah. The, the singing is good, actually, on on Black Mini. It's the uh, the there's an awful lot of really in your face gratuitous pomo aesthetic choices that you have to put up with listening to that record that uh, I get. Po- uh, what's postmodern pomo, actually? Postmodern. So ultra postmodern is the... Well, we actually managed to cover it a bit when we were talking about Mark Fisher. Um, Mm -hmm. I assume what's going on here is that we've got musicians, whether they've... Probably a lot of them have got very uh, thorough training in in music. Yes. uh, And they've got uh, high, you know, extreme chops. Mm. But owing to the the sort of um, our empire being at the turning point or mm. and and the culture being managed entirely by the fascist liberals mm. uh, we it's not a good time for any sort of progressive music or innovation and or or i know it's it's a it's a it's a time for recycling uh-huh. um, and has been now since you know not long after the turn of the century and and I thought that this is what um, this is what Mark Fisher managed to articulate so well in his introductory chapter to yeah. uh, Ghosts of Our Life, uh, of his life, or whatever it was. So it, it seems to me that if you were to take these kinds of skills, especially sort of, you know, college or conservatory mm-hmm. uh, created, you know, developed skills, and um, and people are. You know, young people are, uh, as I think is 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 true throughout the culture industries, the commercial culture industries, kind of afraid to go up against all kinds of cultural boundaries. What do you do? Um, and and these these pomo things like um, like uh, well ultra pomo things like uh, you know the Domi and um, uh, J D Vance. What's her name? Uh, oh, J D Beck. Beck. There you go. Vance, sorry, that was a joke. Um, yeah, things like that can pop out, um, and it's I've I've noticed I've been noticing this for for a while where you can uh, have really quite elaborate bands doing really quite elaborate work. Even that even that Glaswegian thing that came up in mm, our group yeah. chat, um, uh, some of that had this same sort of manufactured, recycled. Uh, quality to it, all very well produced and mm. um, mostly quite well played. And 
and and and for me kind of terrifying um because it got this feeling of of an, an a sort of like emotionally anesthetized music hmm okay well I don't know. I, I, I didn't get that out of this particular record. I know. <laughs> I know. And uh, I'm not, I wouldn't wish my particular um, mm. fear here on anyone. It's, it's something that's been creeping mm. up on me in, in, in the last few years. Um, mm. It's a bit worrying. Well, is there anything in this pile of records that might lance that terror? How did the... Miles Davis Octet Live in Stuttgart 88 get ah. into this list. Is that actually a Well, a that release? is... Uh, yeah, this, this is... Uh, I found this as a record uh-huh. uh, in Italy. Okay. Is it a, uh, uh, is it a, a, a bootleg? I think it's a bootleg. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly looks like it. Has all of those sort of, you know, uh, slightly sort of generic sleeve qualities that yeah. bootlegs tend to have. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you think that's the exact same recording that... Uh, yeah, it is. On? It is. It's, a, it's the same day and everything. So they, so it's pro- it was quite likely somebody recorded it off the, the TV or maybe it was a simulcast on FM radio um, and they made the disc out of that. Yeah. So instead of just watching it on, on YouTube, you're rewarding the bootleggers by buying the vinyl. Yeah. Well, I bought the vinyl, and then when I actually was looking for something to uh, to stick on the uh, the playlist for you, yeah. I discovered that the whole concert existed on video, yeah. on YouTube, which is very cool. Yeah, it is. A, it is very cool. I, now I, I know that this is not your not your favorite Miles band, but live live it's a it's a different pair of shoes. The um, no, I don't. I, I, why did you think that? Because like, you said it once. Mm, I'm not so sure. Huh, okay. No, you might have picked up the wrong on the stick there. Um, there's okay. The that period. There's some of the out, some of the studio albums. I'm not so keen on. Yeah. But, no, I, I feel the same. Uh, but the um, you know some of them you know sort of like uh, Man with the Horn is great. Um, Oh no, music. that's the you know, yeah. I know. I was thinking about stuff like Amandla. Yeah, it's a bit hit and miss. Uh, I don't like decoy. A decoy's a bit different anyway. But um, a, a decoy, I, I, I actually yeah, really I like, like the it. second side of decoy. This this is an interesting band because this is this is different from any uh, this particular gig. Is kind of, sounds different, plays different from any yeah. Miles Davis I've I'm familiar with. Um, yeah, incredibly tight band. So tight, really. <laughs> the, I don't know what you think. What's what's the name of the um, uh, the bass player there again? Uh, uh, Marcus Miller. No, it's not. No, it's not. Is it? No. Well, there's no, there's a thing. Uh, uh, Benjamin Rietveld. Yes, that guy is phenomenal. Uh, he yeah. rules. Um, it's it, it's killer. I mean, through whether he's whether he's getting a solo or or being a bit more elaborate or just supporting, he's so oh. solid, um, and perfect playing. Uh, there's quite a lot of stuff in the notes of the video which says that Foley is actually playing a piccolo bass and not a guitar. Yes, yeah, that's right. Um, which yeah. do you know what that is? It's a curious thing. It seemed to have gone completely out of fashion, but basically. If you take a so, a, a bass guitar usually has a thirty-four-inch scale. Mm-hmm. A short-scale bass guitar is a thirty-inch scale, mm-hmm. and a guitar like this acoustic here has got twenty-five and a half-inch scale. So, so the the and if you take a short-scale bass, so the thirty-inch one, oh. and then put strings on it that are a much narrower gauge. Okay. You can you can have it tuned to the same uh-huh. the same pitches as the uh, you know as as the bass four strings on a regular guitar. Now, plug that into a guitar amp, and you can basically a, a bass guitarist who's got all the skills can can have the the instrument that their fingers are t- are used to. Huh. 
and play like a guitarist. Wow. Which is, uh, which is what you see happen, especially the very bluesy solos that yeah. um, the Joseph McCreary plays plays on this one he plays he plays a little bit of chord stuff as well but it's not not quite like a guitarist would uh and you'll notice that he plays high up on the fretboard yes yeah so but it can end up it it kind of he's got a he's got a whammy bar it looks like a locking whammy as well so the guitar itself is uh pretty interesting and and for a while guitarist bass guitarists were using these as a as a way to have to be able to play solos like a guitarist would but hmm. using the skills that they've got from from bass, hmm. it's gone out of fashion now. Not many people do it. I think it seems. Hmm. Yeah, but the, it's um, it's it really is a wonderful band. Also, uh, Marilyn Mazur on percussion. Yeah, it's which, is, which adds a wonderful sort of tone to the whole thing. Yeah, the, and the it, it's also it's often interesting when you've got a like two drummers in a band um they can how they how they combine with each other because drummers are usually not used to doing that drummers are usually right i'm 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 laying down the law here you know and yeah uh so how they how they respond to that but basically you've got i mean the whole thing is actually quite laid back controlled yeah and easy you know this is Mm. not there's not an awful lot of really hard playing here. It's but it is it's all really in the pocket and uh, yeah. uh they're very, very careful. And I wonder if the the use of kind of like two drummers, uh, one one playing more elaborate kind of but uh, but mm. actually playing drums and, and, and beats, not just kind of decorative stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder if that might might be part of it. But like I mean you've got the keyboard part is also very rhythmic too so it's it's yeah. an awful lot of rhythm instruments isn't it well uh, you've you've often got two keyboard players because miles sits down behind the keyboard yeah, and i think i noticed at one at one point another of the instrumentalists go, takes a little time at the at miles's two keyboards mm-hmm. oh yeah no actually what am i talking about there are are there not yeah because the band has two keyboard players hmm there's uh, on the YouTube video they missed out a credit for one of the keyboard players. Yeah. It's Bobby Irving and Adam Holtzman, yeah. and then of course sometimes Miles sits down at a keyboard as well. Well, he stands for it, but yeah, yeah. Well, all right, yes. But um, so you've you've got a little touch of the uh, of of the earlier seventies electric band sound. Yeah, yeah it's very cool. And it's nice. To no, watch. it's a, yeah, it's it's really really worth watching. Well, I'm glad that you actually found something to <laughs> to like in all of this stuff. I also uh, was very lucky this year that I managed to pick up... Uh, okay, this is another new record, but it's not a bootleg. Uh, this is the album Freeform by Joe Harriet. Yeah. Uh, which has been reissued uh, just, to, just to sort of for your uh, vinyl nerds. Um, just a quick sort of uh, word about the reissue. It's I, I mean, it's on clear vinyl, which is kind of like oh why, but um, but it it is actually good. You know, it's uh, it's the the vinyls uh, more or less silent. Just a minute. I mean, it's on vinyl. Why? <laughs> no, I mean new yeah. issues. I I yeah. There's something still well, ethically wrong. There. Why is it? Why is it on a new issue? If you wanted to actually pick up an original copy of this, we'd be into four figures. Okay. There's uh, there's there's another uh, another records uh, later on in this, which comes kind of from the same series, I think. Lots of British jazz from the sixties in original pressings is now four figures. You know, there's uh, uh, lots of lots of times um, people actually then produce very fancy represses of of these records that you know you've been trying to get hold yeah, of I, for I a while. They, I know they do. In, I just, I'm just responding not, to the idea that if you're going to do vinyl, you're you're doing it in order to have the thing. 
Mm. It's um, it's not because there aren't better media available. It's because you want the thing. So why not clear? Why not yellow? Well, uh, well, because it's it tends to be a bit louder. You know, you get more surface noise off that. It's it's not quite as good reproduction, but um, and it's a gimmick. But uh, yeah, uh, but the, this is this has actually turned out pretty nicely. This one, that was it. Uh, why is this album important? Because uh, we've we've talked about this a couple of times before. Because Joe Harriet's uh, kind of around the same time as Ornette Coleman was experimenting with free forms. And, uh, and not following chord changes, but kind of in a different way from Ornette Coleman, and uh, a more a slightly more gentle way. And uh, this record is one of the one of the sort of versions of it that I that made it into a recorded form. And it's uh, it's it's very interesting. It's a bunch of uh, bunch of excellent musicians who'd spent a long time rehearsing and working together and getting that kind of telepathy amongst them um i i, I think it's wonderful yeah yeah the problem i have with uh homes like this you've still got the jazz drummer uh, yeah it's kind of phil seaman i mean yes yeah well um I think his uh, his contributions are are, are are great. I think they they move everything along. It swings like hell. Yeah, you see, that would be a thing that somebody who likes jazz might say. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, the one, you know, the uh, the player out of that band who I've who I always enjoy is Pat Smythe, the the pianist. I think he's he. I can't. I don't really know why he didn't do anything else apart from this. He seems to have just faded after after the Harriet band split up. It's uh, mm. it's, it's such a great sound. Well, anyway, uh, there's uh, there's another. Joe Harriet record that uh, there's a couple more actually that I'm, I'm after I'm after a copy of Homdono which is uh, which uh, has got Norman, Norma Winston on it mm-hmm. which is really really worth a listen but uh, anyway so this is uh, this has just come out this year I mean God, it says here that it's a limited edition of 500 records, but I, I don't know about that. The, uh, the label's Destination Moon, and it's well worth checking out. When we were talking about John Hassel the other week, we did actually leave something out of this, which was that uh, in the early 80s, Hassel, of course, had collaborated quite a bit with David Sylvian. Well, he's contributed to an awful lot of people's records. Yeah. I mean, he provided a couple of solos for the Brilliant Trees album, didn't he? Oh, yeah. But, um, I mean, I'd uh, I'd heard uh, some of the stuff that he did on a Sylvian album called Gone to Earth. But uh, for some reason, I had never actually bought a copy of Brilliant Trees. I'd never really sat, sat down and listened to it properly. And that was his first um, solo album. Yeah. yeah. And what is fascinating about this is that it starts out as a Japan album. And then... Or sounds you know, like one, you mean. It, is, it sounds pretty much like a Japan album for most of the first side. Then you turn it over... And uh, as soon as the second side starts, John Hassel appears, and it's a completely different record. Sounds more like a Holger Kuzaki record, right? Yeah. Well, maybe, I don't know. But, Wasn't um, he the main collaborator on that one? Uh, yes. Yeah. But honestly, I think it's, uh, I think it's Hassel that really changes the gear. Yeah, I'm not sure how long it's been since I listened to the album through. 
Yeah, I mean, the, 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 uh, they're basically, depending on how you want to count them, two or three good David Sylvian solo albums, and this is one of them. Um, and then uh, there's, the, um, there's the two that he did with Robert Fripp, and one of them's kind of like a live version of the... Uh, damage. Material. Yeah, uh, which is, what's that called? Um, this, that, that's got the music from the studio album that was released a year before or something. Hmm. Uh, the name of which I've forgotten now. Yeah, uh, it's kind of interesting because, of course, Fripp uh, played with the idea of having Sylvian as the as the vocalist in King Crimson. Yeah, at the time. Yeah, I'm not sure that would have been a good good a good good fit. As it turned out, uh, Adrian Ballou was. Absolutely perfect yeah. for King Crimson. Well, it, uh, I don't think we would have got the record that we got out of it. You know, I don't think Discipline would have <laughs> would have sounded like Discipline. No, you know? not at all. And uh, but it the is interesting day. that um, at the same time, I don't think uh, my life in the Bush of Ghosts would have uh, would have ended up sounding anything like it did with John Hassel involved in oh, it probably not but could it have could it have been at all without john hassel essentially being the oh here we go the hauntological partner on that album ah you know he was there by not being there i mean it wouldn't have happened yeah well uh i think I'm, what i'm doing here is slowly building a case for a revolution that never happened Sometime in the 80s there, you know? No, I still don't understand you. Well, um, here we are talking about a whole load of uh, a whole load of music that could have happened. Yes. Yeah. And actually maybe even getting nostalgic about something that could have happened but didn't. Uh, I can't say that's how I feel right now, nostalgic, but the... Um uh, I'm not the 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 thing I wasn't really understanding was the revolution part of it. Well, uh, because I think that would have um, that would have propelled popular music into a different direction. Not really. I mean, this this what we're talking about is a relatively fringe art music. It might have influenced things a bit, but you know, I mean, Japan is like the closest is one of the, not the closest maybe, but one of the examples of a band that did actually at the level of, of pop music mm -hmm. success um, at, and, and being an, uh, an album art band. Uh, so, you know, there are a few of those. So maybe there's some bleed over, but mm. basically pop music has always been resilient against uh, truly creative art, mm. you know, and they'll, they'll continue singing. Singing love songs and pop songs and yeah, but there was a there, there was there was a song. moment when some of us were wondering uh, were well mistook what was actually the the high water mark from the breaking of a wave for actually the start of uh, of the revolution. <laughs> yeah, yes, I suppose there are people that 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 believed that. I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess there were. Yeah, I'm. I'm wondering if ever, if I ever really kind of believe that sort of thing. Oh well. No, I think. I'm, I think my 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 attitude has always been more like music is a is an indulgence. It's a it's a nice thing. Hmm. Okay. Well. Yeah, you know, you're you're quite right, aren't you? Because there there have been there have been a number of uh, people who have kind of famously invested in the notion that culture can, can change society. Hmm. Talking about a high wa water mark. Uh, Chet Baker, the Cologne Concerts, the Cologne Concerts, 1955, Volume 1, which uh, turned up in a record store in Spain. This is, uh, yeah, this is a pressing of an old... Um, of an old, I suppose it must have been a video recording. Um, frankly, the recording should be better and the pressing should be better as well. 
but uh, this has a sort of really eerie sort of um, almost ghoulish quality about it because what happened here was Chet Baker uh, did a, a tour of Europe the, they were all sort of based in Paris and going off and doing sort of gigs all over the low countries and stuff like that uh, this was when the the heroine really got serious. And he arrived with a, a pianist called uh, Dick Twadzik, who was uh, who was very, very highly thought of and uh, a little bit, uh, little bit emotionally fragile, maybe. Who <sighs> then embraced heroin and um, something like a week after this concert uh, died of an overdose. A very controversial overdose because there's there's a whole lot of stuff about uh, who was actually fixing up with him and who uh, didn't ring the police in time because they didn't want to get their own you know get involved and all that kind of stuff. I I was always uh, always very curious to actually hear what this band sounded like live. Uh, because yeah it is uh, it's kind of gone down in history that, uh, that this was the time when Chet Baker got together with a pianist who was who who for a start thought he was wonderful and uh, and played very very sympathetically but was also a huge talent himself and then of course ended up dead uh and I think there's there's not too many studio recordings of them. So I, I was also kind of interested to see how how it functions uh, live. Uh, it's not it's not a perfect recording. I think there's a certain amount of evidence of uh, of uh, the limitations that narcotics bring, but it's still. Uh, it's, it's still quite spirited and it's still kind of a, a sort of interesting period piece uh, yeah, yeah I it's a, a little to unsettling it, listening to it I have to say if you know the backstory. yeah yeah I um, I I don't know what to say about Chet Baker because I've he's one of those musicians who's always had a band and well also I've always really disliked Chet Baker I mean, every time I've I've attempted to listen, because people rate him so highly, you know, he's the, he's this great icon of I don't know some kind of a not not just in a musical way, you know, so a great icon of some sort of a oh style icon, yeah. yeah. Um, maybe it's a nostalgia thing for a period and uh, and, and living away uh, in a uh, you know in, in a time when well, I don't know. Um, yeah. It's. But no, I I really dislike um, Chet Baker, both the singing and the and mm. the trumpet, and just that style of jazz in a band where, they, they, where it typically or the the most famous stuff, and certainly you hear it on this album, um, seems to be it would we call that a a very laid back style, sort of a, a deliberately mm. uh, cool approach. I don't know what if these are appropriate ways to describe it, but. That that also comes across to me as kind of affected, and um, I know there's there's something about Jeff Baker that really rubs me the wrong way. Okay, yeah. All right, let's move on very quickly into something that might cheer you up a bit. How about um, Heine, the, the the two Heiners, uh, Heiner Muller and Heiner Goebbels, and the Man in Farstuhl. <laughs> the Man in Farstuhl. That's hilarious, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what sense does this make? You know, get the uh, get the impression of uh, um, this is definitely publicly funded art music. Uh, well, art. Um, this is stage music. Something for the stage, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I've I have the impression, although I've, I've not really been able to find out definitely. But I have the impression that this is something for the radio. Uh-huh. That yes. this was maybe made for Hessisches Rundfunk. It's possible, yeah. 
And that that makes a lot more sense. You get the impression of, of some sort of weird Hirschbeel. And if you were driving late at night and you turned this on, you you know, it, it might intrigue you quite a bit. Oh, right. So this is this is a this is this reminds me of the uh, Brazilian hotel room TV. Uh, so yes, yeah, in, 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 <laughs> kind of in 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 a in a suitably um, difficult context where you you've got limited options. And you could put that on. Yeah, I see. Well, I've I've, uh, I have actually done two pieces of Heiner Goebbels's. Yes, with the orchestra. Yeah, you talked about uh, one of them for with me. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the the city and what was the other piece? Oh, yes, this uh, this. God, we did this this year, didn't we? That huge piece with. uh, with all the quarter turns. Yeah, I did listen to a recording of that, and I was a bit disappointed, to be honest. Um, I was thinking, if you've got an orchestra and um, and you're prepared to do, you know, that that is prepared to do a whole bunch of quarter turn stuff, can you come up with something a bit more interesting than that? It well, it was quite exciting for you. Oh, it was terrifying for me. <laughs> there you go. Ah. <sighs> uh. Surrogate cities. That was the uh, that was the one that I did. Right. Um, and what was the thing with the quarter turns? I yeah. There's always this sort of um, quite sort of jubilant thing that goes through all of Heiner Goebbels's stuff, isn't there? There's a, there's all always a sort of sort of get your fucking hands up <laughs> moment, you know. <laughs> um, well, in this one, there is. Yes, there's quite a lot of those. Oh, but there's, yeah. there's stuff like that in in surrogate cities. There's stuff like that in the other piece. There's, there is always this this moment when the whole audience is supposed to rock out along with you. <laughs> but actually, I found uh, the the first time through, I, I wasn't too impressed. But as I, as I got through it, I did. It, it has through grown on me. What are you talking bit. about now? Um, the the man in Farstool. Okay. Don Cherry's uh, trumpet playing is quite cool. Yeah, the sax playing on it's pretty cool as well. Yeah, a bit out of context though. They, it's the way things combine together that just doesn't doesn't always make well, a great deal of sense. Yeah, there's all the uh, all, all the Brazilian singing, which I don't really. Un- it's quite nice, but I don't understand what it's got to do with anything. Right. You know, like I say, if uh, if you were listening to it on the radio, by mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. <laughs> that's um, that's one of that sort of same ECM series that uh, has the Dolman music, the Meredith Monk Dolman music that we talked about. Yeah, new series. Which is uh, a, actually Dolman a great music. show. If anybody hasn't heard that, go back and listen to Dolman music. Yeah, bear in mind, Dolman music was uh, was uh, was just regular ECM initially. Okay, further. I'm just going to take the first thing off the pile here. The uh, the Don Rendell Ian Carr Quintet Dusk Fire. Right. This is uh, this is another one of these things that uh, that's been a, a reissue of an old British jazz record that would, if you bought it in its original version, would cost four figures. Yeah. But it's uh, it's it's been very nicely put together. It's a it's a nice thing. Um. It's not, in fact, it's mono as well, isn't it? Yeah, cool. I think the other one was too. Yeah. So, um, mono's cool. Yes, actually, I agree with you. You remember when we were talking to. Yes. Um, yes, yes. Uh, Felix Kubin. Is, yeah. is stereo evil? And he didn't think so, but I do. <laughs> well, it, it, uh, it's, yes, I suppose it's a bit artificial, but. Um, but mono is definitely cool, and this has been a very nicely, nicely put together record. Uh, I mean, the, yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, the, the whole packaging is cool. It's yeah. You're it's enjoying your model railways, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, there is a there is a um, a download code in here as well, which I haven't investigated yet. I put that uh, that one the uh, the title track Duskfire up 
for you to listen to because I think that's I think that's one of the best ones uh, I don't think this is the best record of the uh, of the Don Rendley and Carl Quintet I'm really still after phase three but um, but it shows you know a really hard working band with an absolutely spring-wristed uh, drummer yeah, who does tend to dominate. <sighs> well, but I, yeah, that's fairly typical for jazz bands of this era, isn't it? Mm. And uh, a lot of it's, uh, yeah, I think uh, the the tunes are written either by Michael Garrick or, uh, or members of the band. Oh, no, of course, Michael Garrick's the pianist, yeah. So they, they will, uh, there's all original stuff. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I'm glad to hear it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want? It's musty old jazz. All right, well, how about Keep some trying. musty new jazz then? How about the... Uh, I just put one track of this up on the, on the, uh, on the list. Joshua Redman. Uh, yeah, that wasn't quite so bad. Yeah, that's a, it's a great tune, isn't it? Uh the this is uh, the Joshua Redman album um, Come What May, and this first track Circle of Life. Just the track is so smart. The tune it's the way that the the tune uh, like there's the melody could be the melody. It could also be the accompaniment. Mm-hmm. I, I and there's uh, all the sort of different. Parts of the of the head come together, and they're all equally important. And they you could actually, and they they do this when every time the head's repeated, a different part of it is emphasised. Yeah, I uh, I mean also I find his sound on the saxophone so gorgeous, so perfect. I mean, you know, he's had a he's had a level of instruction that. Uh, you know, most of the classic uh, players in the 60, 50s and 60s wouldn't have ever had, they would have all been trying to work it out for themselves. Yeah, it's one of the things you can sort of, in, in this selection that you brought me here, there's there's quite a range of, of sax sounds. Another contrast that you could put together, it's not, it's not actually in the... See, this is one of the things that was a, a, mm. a real struggle for me, was I was going... You, you put a list on on Trello and then there's this thing the way you got it arranged was I couldn't I couldn't see it in order it was in reverse order and the things that you put in first were hidden I had to click oh. a button to have to see them and uh, then I oh my god I've got a whole playlist here that I have to listen to as well but there were these things that were there in advance of that so including the Archie Shep so, for example, so Archie Shep has this very oh. breathy sound where half yeah. of what you're listening to is the sound of is the sound of breath and lungs and spit and air passing over reeds. The, the air column, yeah. Yeah, and as opposed to the tone produced, and the the the, the big contrast with that was the uh, was the Japanese one. What's that? Uh, Watanabe. Sada Watanabe. This is another. That was another complete dis- uh, discovery out of nowhere. Um, this was bought in Italy. It came in a in a plastic bag that was labelled uh, eight euros fusion. And the one thing it isn't well, is fusion. fusion. <laughs> mm, it's, it's really quite conservative jazz, but yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you've got the, those contrasts of sounds there, uh, sax sounds that were very, very clear. Yeah, the um, the the Archie Shep album that you're talking about uh, actually came without a cover, so it was a little bit cheaper for that. Yeah. But um, it's just him and Niels Henning Orsted Peterson uh, playing a selection of Charlie Parker tunes. Actually, it's interesting to put the two the two albums next to each other so we're talking about Sado Watanabe's live at the Bravos Club in 1985 and and the album is called Parker's Mood 
I think if you uh, go on to YouTube, you'll find this entire album with one or two other uh, other tracks on it as well. Yeah, you will. But uh, but this is, as you said, quite a, a, quite a sort of um, something that wouldn't have upset the crowd at, in Ronnie Scott's in sort of nineteen sixty three. Um, this is uh, no, but I, th- it's, I think it's beautifully even, beautifully done. I think it's even more laid back than that. It's uh, it, it's it's the sort of thing that won't won't disturb people having a business meeting in a hotel. Mm. It's, I think you're being a little bit harsh there. It's, um, but it's it really is wonderful, beautifully, beautifully phrased and beautifully put together playing. No, it's well done. Uh, it, yeah. it just has this quality of being, yeah, very toned down, very pretty. Mm. Okay. And uh, whereas the you know another sort of uh, sort of interpretation of a whole load of charlie parker tunes is this is this record with called looking at bird with archie shep and niels henning Orsted peterson just tenor and bass very weird record because if you if if you eject the drummer as they did mm-hmm. and and they and the keyboard player now you see me the piano right as they did why not play with free time, at least some of the time? Uh, but as far as I listened to it, I didn't listen to the entire thing. It's, yeah. it's played like, I mean, bass is played like exactly like he would if, if the rest of the band was there, which just seems a bit like a lost opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, except that you get, to, you get to actually really appreciate it. Appreciate what? Uh, appreciate the bass playing. Well, okay, but you can do that. I mean, he's doing the same thing that he does when there's a drum in the air, so you can you can appreciate that when there is a drum. The 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 point is, you, the tyranny of the beat is gone, or you, it could be. Mm, well, no, you can't uh, you can't often appreciate it because there's so much else going on. You know, you can't often listen to to uh, to how the bass is filling out the harmony because there's there's already so much else going on in the band. That's what I meant. Hmm. Uh, I I really did like it because uh, I also enjoy. I mean, Archie Shep is is you know it's a wonderfully fiery outside player and um, somebody who manages to to marry all of the the later free jazz stuff actually with an older tradition, particularly with that with that quite gruff tenor sound, which sounds like something out of one of the big swing bands of the thirties. Uh, but in addition to that, I also do really enjoy listening to him play inside sometimes. And, uh, you know, the one time that I was lucky enough to see him live, uh, I was, uh, he started off the whole show with a, with a fairly standard bebop tune, which he, he played absolutely inside the envelope. And it was, uh, it was wonderful. It was very, very exciting. Um, I kind of saw uh, an interview with him uh, a few years ago where uh, he said that um, he'd been asked to do uh, to play some to turn up at some concert which was uh, celebrating uh, I don't know 50 years of, uh, of Giant Steps and to actually play Giant Steps and he was sitting there and thinking, Jesus, can I can I still do that? And so he spent a long time actually practicing the Coltrane solo. And then finally, um, on the night, he walked out and uh, and did his own thing very successfully. But uh, yeah, I, I, I found that interesting for somebody who who you know is often only really identified with all of the free music that he does. So, anyway, uh, we don't got much left. Oh, yeah, we got uh, kind of two records left. And they're, they're both jazz. Uh, here we go. 
Okay, I bought a... Uh, I don't know if I even put this on the list, actually. I just wanted to mention this quickly. There's a McCoy Tyner record with um, Joe Henderson on it called New York Reunion. Um, it was just basically to say quickly that uh, I think... If you'd like to check out, if you haven't checked out, if you'd like to check out our uh, conversation about um, the Thelonious Monk's, uh, the Thelonious Monk tribute album, um, then that's something that you should do, because also on the list of, uh, of, of recordings associated with that program, there's this version of Ask Me Now by uh, with Joe Henderson, which starts off with just him playing a solo version of it, um, which is which is spectacular, really. I, hmm. I won't hear a bad word against it. And we're almost through this. The last record in the pile is... The very wonderful Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers at the Club Saint-Germain, Volume 1. And this was uh, bought in Italy as well. Uh, I think it actually came with a sticker that said, uh, Very Good Plus, which is quite a statement for something that has had the sleeve repaired with Christmas sellotape. But um, Italy buying buying records in Italy is weird, you know. I've never bought records like that anywhere, where you go into a shop, there's no prices on anything, and you get this huge pile of records. You go up to the cash register and say, "Right, what do you want for that?" So I make you a special price, and he goes <laughs> goes through this whole pile of records, having got his dad out of the back back of the shop to actually help with the calculations and then tells you a price so you think that's a bit too much so you take about three record three or four records off the top of the pile and then another price comes up so you keep keep going until you can actually you know live with the money but yeah this was uh this was one that uh, that i brought with me and uh, very glad that i did for its, uh, I mean, anything with with Lee Morgan on, it's worth listening to. Uh, and God, anything with Art Blake is kind of worth listening to, but particularly from this time. Uh, but there's just such a beautiful version of Whisper Not on this, which is. Absolutely fantastic. Benny Golston solo is, uh, God, it's as good as anything, really. Great. Yeah, so that's it. Fantastic. Now what? Uh, I mean, well, we also, you have to take into account that uh, the, at least two records that went into my bag this year, we ended up doing a whole show about. Mm-hmm. And that was the Thelonious Monk record that we've just uh, we just talked about the 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 uh, tribute to Thelonious Monk, and uh, also the John Hassel record. Well, yeah. well, we talked about the video that's on YouTube, but that uh, but the record is of a, is of another night of the same series of shows. Right, I thought it was the same, but we talked about that in the. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. Well, both these shows are still available. If uh, if you want, if you haven't listened to them, go back and listen to. Them. All right. Um, yes. Well, all of our shows. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Right then, it's time for me to go. It's past the dog's dinner time. Ava's out, so I've got to handle everything. It's only missing for us to to wish all of our listeners a merry Christmas. Yeah, merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, Merry Christmas. And uh, we'll see you again, I think, actually pretty shortly for our annual Roundup of the Year broadcast. Right. And it's been, actually, 
quite a full year so uh, I won't be talking about any music particularly because I've done all of that in, in this but uh, but yeah there's been uh, been a lot of films this year all kinds of stuff I've read quite a lot of books and uh, what about you Tom are you, are you looking forward to this well I've got a lot of stuff in the list we'll see it's been a miserable year for me so We'll um we'll just have to get through it. It'll be over soon. <laughs> okay. Well uh, <laughs> Tom's off to burn the turkey. <laughs> uh, I'll make some porridge for the dogs and uh find something for myself. <laughs> All right. Okay. Goodbye. All the best.